You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year, a comedy podcast looking back at this week in history. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social medias or message us with some suggestions for worst ever segments, you can do that over on Facebook or Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me. Oh, get ready for this one. <laughs> he is a choosy cheese chooser, therefore, he says cheese, please, when he chooses the cheese for his cheeseburgers. It's Mr. Jeff McLarge. Wow, that's far too much cheese choosing for me to chew on. Bill. Yeah. Yeah. What's up? That's a uh, That was an old... Old campaign slogan for McDonald's. Was it really? Choosy yeah, cheese. Yeah, choosy cheese. Isn't all their cheese yeah, just was, like American cheese? It's like... I don't know. I, like, all of a sudden, McDonald's has got, like, fine cheddar that you can choose from, yeah. I don't know. I used to get their... I used to like their cheddar, like, for the short time they did their cheddar and onion burgers, but that was the most orange, non-organic-looking <laughs> cheddar cheese I've ever seen. It may actually have glowed in the dark. Well, the Swiss mushroom, which also was, like... I guess it had a couple holes in it, but yeah. that it wasn't very Swissy. Yeah, I did eat enough of those like cheddar cheese cheeseburgers with onions on them that I probably shortened my lifespan by a considerable I told you, number. You're of a years. cheesy cheese chooser. I Jeff. definitely am a cheesy cheese chooser. Ah, who wants to be eighty anyway? I'll have another two of those. <laughs> hey, guess who might live to be eighty because uh, of a smart decision he made ten years ago? Oh, who's that? Who might that be? Might be me. Oh. I just, yeah, big uh, big Red Letter Day just passed us a little while ago. In real time, it was a couple of days ago. And show time was a month and a half ago. Whatever, guys. Uh, but at any rate, I just made 10 years of my last cigarette slash vape. Oh, nice. Yeah, I haven't had nicotine in like 10 years, dude. That's crazy. That is, that's, that's fantastic. How do you feel? I want a cigarette. <laughs> The urge never really fully goes away. I stopped when they cut the smoke out of me in 2009. I say that because uh-huh. that's when I, I, I stopped when I had heart surgery. And uh, right. I still have dreams where I smoke cigarettes. And I'm like, oh, I wake up and I'm like, yes, it was a dream. It wasn't the real thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I definitely have had those dreams before, too, where I'm smoking. And in my dream, I'm like, I just fucked up. Because now I got to start counting all over again, but and I wake up and I again, you know, like victory, right? So yeah, I've been uh, completely nicotine free for ten years, and I said it the day that I quit, and I said it every time I quit before then. I'll I'll stick by it. I'll say it again. I am not an ex smoker. I just am currently not smoking, right? Because I know damn well I can go right back to it tomorrow. It's terrible. It's well, it's not a monkey on your back like heroin, but it's like a little spider monkey. Ah, ooh, ah, ooh, you know, yep. it's there. It's all that specter is always going to be there. It's one of those things that never goes away. And you know, as someone who who used it as a 
kind of like a tool when I was writing. I always assumed it was something I needed to be able to do while to make it so that I could write. It turned out not to be true. But um, Oh yeah. But you know, it came with a, like a certain expectation when you you write poetry and you write fiction like at least in my brain like yes, what everybody does that does this. Probably an error on my part considering my fantastic health. So, well, congratulations <laughs> on 10 years, Bill. That's something to raise a glass to. High five, yeah. Uh, bottoms up, Striders. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that being said, I have also spent the last week in some sort of bronchial hell because even before I started smoking, every cold I've ever had has basically dive-bombed into my lungs. Yep. Like, they just it takes up residency there. That happened a couple months ago, like, during September. It's bad. And when I smoked, it was ten times as worse. Right. Well, I would really hate to think what would happen, like, now, if the cold that I've caught over the past week, like, if I was still actively smoking. Yep. Holy hell, because I am a raspy dude. I'm coughing. I'm going to edit out all the coughs out of this show. You know, thank me later, listeners, because <laughs> this is a, it's going to be a coffee show. It and is. I'm having a hard time sleeping because I'm constantly waking myself up. Right, right, right. I hate it. Hopefully you'll be over it soon, and it'll be sooner than if, if it was 10 years ago. Yeah, uh, it would last for months right. whenever I was smoking. Hopefully it'll clear out faster than that. But before we get on to the show proper, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Bill. So we were talking about Moby Dick the other day. We were. Yep. And you were talking about how, you know, they ended up in the Pacific Ocean and the Panama Canal wasn't around back then, so they had to go all the way around. Yes. So I didn't work out the miles for that, but I did work out the miles in between England and New England because uh, they were about as creative with names as my family are, I guess. Mm -hmm. At any rate, given the distance and given the speed at which those uh, sailing ships kind of cruise along at, how long, and I don't I don't need exact numbers. I can get a ballpark okay. figure. I'll, I'll take just about anything for an answer. How long yeah, would it take? Good. Yeah. How long would it take a ship, say, oh, I don't know, the Mayflower, for an example, to go from England to the disappointment that is Plymouth Rock? How long would that take? Okay. Hmm. Given, given the sailing vessels of the time. Huh. All right. Well, we'll talk about that when we get to the end of the show. All right. But this is the week beginning, February the 12th, and it is your turn to start. Yeah, fantastic. February 12th, 1950, our first of two celebrity birthdays, Canadian actor and character actor who's been in approximately 4 million films and TV shows, Michael Ironside. And you may know him from such roles as the voice of Darkseid on (laughs) Superman the Animated Series. Bill? Uh, probably best known for his role in The Next Karate Kid. Oh, yes. Uh, he's also probably more well-known, at least for science fiction fans, as the character that they combined into Corporal Rajak in Starship Troopers, the guy with the mechanical arm. And mm-hmm. he's also in, Bill, he's in your favorite movie, uh, Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Is he the, in Space Hunter? Is that the a, one with Molly Ringwald? It is. It's the one with Molly Ringwald, not the one that's. Oh, I got it wrong. Not the one that's Metal Storm, the destruction of Jared Sin with uh, Richard. Metal Maul. Storm, um, with Richard Mall. Yes. Okay, very good. But uh, I know, I know your friend and mine, uh, Michael Ironside, from a horror movie that came out in the '80s that neither you nor I had seen, 
and then we watched it together. I don't know if it was probably five years ago, maybe a little bit more. Called yep. Scanners. Yeah, yeah. And the, Which is ultimately like a superhero movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah. That movie starts out very strong. When Michael Ironside just like demolishes this other guy's head just by kind of like staring at him. Yeah. The guy's head explodes in a great piece of uh, early uh, practical effects. Yeah. And then the movie kind of slides down pretty fast after that. Mm-hmm. But... That opening sequence, the re- yeah, I don't know if the movie's so bad as it just doesn't live up to that opening sequence. Well, kind of like Ghost Ship. Yeah, definitely that part of the film overshadows the rest of it. But I, I was surprised at how good the film was just in general. Because ultimately it's like a pre-X-Men type movie where the folks realize that they have this ability. They can spot one another in a crowd or over great yeah. distances. And all of a sudden they're starting to pull together to protect themselves. Like, I was like, oh, I was totally bought into the to scanners, so. Like I said, the the opening sequence, the rest of the movie doesn't really hold up to it. Not unlike that movie Ghost Ship, which has right. an amazing opening sequence. And the rest of the movie, I honestly don't remember the, the plot of it. <laughs> like the ghost, it's a ship, it's something, it's, it's ghost, on a boat. It's a ship. And Michael Ironsides may very well have been in that film. I didn't have time to read all 43 million uh, roles that he was in. <laughs> All right, moving on to February the 13th, 1992. It is announced that Vince Neil will be leaving Motley Crue oh. in a career move that, I don't know, uh, Peter. he must have got a call from Peter Chris like right afterwards like <laughs> saying, dude, you have any coke left? <laughs> or, hey, you want a guest star on uh, Ace Frehley's record? He's doing another <laughs> record. I think that that, a, that uh, Vince Neil leaving in 1992 was the second worst thing that ever happened to Motley Crue. <laughs> the first worst thing that ever happened to Motley Crue is that Vince Neil came back to Motley Crue about two records later, one or two records later. Well, Vince Neil had you know, a lot of problems at the time, a lot of rock and roll excesses. You know, we had that incident there with a car that ended up killing his friend from Honori Rocks. You know, the guy was a mess with all, with all, well, it's not like Vince Steele was the only one that was a mess, but he was a mess. Right. He was the only one in Motley Crue that was a mess and was blonde. <laughs> so he was out of the band. I'm not really a huge Motley Crue fan, so I don't really remember if he, you know, was pushed or jumped. But they carried on in 1994. They put out an album called Motley Crue with a new singer, John Karabi. I tried listening to that album, and I like it less than every other Motley Crue album I've listened to. And like I said, I'm not a Motley Crue fan, but I there's some songs I can I hear, and I'm like, you know, I don't love the song, but I can I can get on board with it. Like Kickstart Your Heart's fine, uh, Girls, 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 that's fine. Yep. You know, all the songs that you know from Motley Crue, they're fine. They're fine songs, but this one with John Karabi. Just couldn't get on board. It's so the, the difference in those in the voice characteristics of Vince Neil and John Karabi is is vast. They never could have made the record that they did with John Karabi with Vince Neil. It just would never have worked because he feels he very nasally. He's very nasally, and John Karabi's not. He's like <laughs> so. It's way it's a way different sound for Molly Crew, which for Molly Crew fans was like, yeah, f this noise. <laughs> this record stinks. Right, and I don't think they picked up any new fans along that route either. Nope, for sure. So the the record company said, you know, we'll give you guys a whole bunch of money 
if you bring Vince Neil back. So they brought Vince Neil back and they put out another album uh, a few years later than that uh, called Generation Swine. Yes. Which that was Motley Crue kind of like cashing in on, you know, what was going around musically at the time. And I don't fault that was this is 1997 now. I don't fault bands, you know, for trying to keep up. You know, Kiss was the 1970s rock band and yep. in the 1980s they became a 1980s band. And yes. in the 1990s, they did a reunion tour because they weren't going to make it as a 1990s band. <laughs> no, they were not. I can't imagine a grungy Kiss record. It just wouldn't. Oh, there is one, though. It's called Carnival of Souls, and you need to hear it. Paul okay. Stanley made the greatest joke about it. He goes, I'm over there trying to write depressing songs. I'm sitting poolside trying to write depressing songs. <laughs> So anyway, they put out this album, Generation Swine, and the record company said to them, you know what? We'll give you even more money if you never do anything like that ever again. Molly Crew has carried on since then uh, with Vince Neil as a vocalist. They never tried that road again, except for now, I guess, Mick Mars is out of the band. But that guy's going to be like 105 years old by now. He got replaced by John Five. Oh, Johnny Five's playing with them now? Not Johnny Five, that's a robot. <laughs> just 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 John Five. Oh, just John Five. <laughs> Johnny Five's probably still on the run from Fisher Stevens dressed as a scientist. Yeah, John Five plays down here in New Bedford, like he yeah, twice he comes he plays here in uh in Derry too at the Tupelo Music Hall, and I thought like that's a weird thing to have the new guitar player for Oh Molly no, Crew. he's from he, well, he's from other bands, too. Oh, yeah, I know he's been around and done, done a ton of session stuff, but it just struck me as weird to be in a band that's ultimately... I guess they're doing, like, the nostalgia circuit now anyway, so it doesn't matter, but I, I was surprised to see that he was playing the Tupelo Music Hall, which is a nice place, but uh, it seems, yeah. like, small for him. But All that being said, I had to, for that album of the day thing, uh, a little while ago, I had to have an album recommended to me by one of my friends. So I called up my friend Bob, and Bob recommended that I listen, because he knows I don't like Motley Crue. And he had me listen to an album called The Saints of Los Angeles, which, mm-hmm. as far as Motley Crue goes, it was good. That was that was a listenable album. I thought okay. that was okay. I, yeah, that album came, came out in 2008. I still have some relatively warm feelings for Shout Out the Devil. It's a good record. I'm never going to talk crap about that record, because it's not a bad record. Once we get beyond that, though, uh, they, sort of, they sort of fell out of interest for me pretty quickly. I will say this, though. Watching recent videos of Molly Crew and Vince Neil have been incredibly entertaining. <laughs> Especially, like, when Vince Neil falls off the stage in the middle of one of his wings. Or when he's not singing any words at all, but just sort of bleeding like a sheep while the rest of the band glares at him. I love it. That's Those are my favorite things. <laughs> All right, moving on to the 14th. February 14th, 1989. Bill, do you do you ever get lost? Uh, I tried watching it for like the half first half of the first no, season. No, but no, I, no. I don't mean the show. I, I, I mean, didn't get it. <laughs> I don't mean the show. I mean not knowing where you are on Earth. Uh, not in a very long time, thanks to modern technology. Thanks to modern technology. Well, in 1989, the first satellite... Uh, used for global positioning, or the global positioning system, was put into orbit. It was put up for the U.S. military so that soldiers could figure out where they were and generals could tell soldiers where to go. 
uh, with a, a level of accuracy that was unknown to the world before 1989. And in, I want to say, relatively rapid fashion, within the space of less than 10 years, that technology became civilian technology that could be used for navigating around highways and roads and towns and cities and in between cities and in places you've never been to. And it could do things like tell your car to tell you to turn right right now, in which case people would turn right right now and drive off into a pond. Uh, yeah, so GPS has been around for a while now. I mean, you just said 1989 is when the first yeah. satellite goes up. But then again, one satellite up isn't going to do anything. You need at least two or three to make it work, what they call triangulating the position. But I remember when my brother first got like the GPS for the car, like mm-hmm. it was its own unit. Remember, it wasn't on your phone. It was like its own unit. Remember that? Yes. Garmin. Right? I think Garmin was the one who made them. And they used to make navigation tools for fishing boats. That's how I know yeah. their name. And I remember my brother letting me borrow it so I could take it whenever I drove to Florida. You know? Yep. I'll tell you, that navigation system versus the one that's in your phone now. Because the one that's in the phone now collects data from everybody else that's driving that has mm-hmm. GPS in it. Right. And it has very, very, very... Very accurate arrival times. Right. Which I don't like because I used to like it would say, you're going to get there in, night, you know, whenever I drove to Florida, you're going to get there in 22 hours. And I'm like, 22 hours? Challenge accepted. And try right. to get there faster than 22 hours. Now it's, you know, it, it's never overshot my arrival time. It's right. undershot it. You know, my initial arriving time because I just went to Cincinnati, right? Yep. It's supposed to be fifth, you know, fourteen hours, and it would tell me fourteen hours and thirty minutes, and I'm like, all right, I gotta get there in less than fourteen hours and thirty minutes. No way, it's always over. I always go over. Uh, is it because it doesn't like plot traffic or something? Is is that why? No, because I gotta go stop. I gotta stop to pee. It doesn't oh. take that into consideration. It doesn't take that into consideration. Right? Bio breaks. You gotta do like the truckers do, man, and keep a Snapple jar in your car. <laughs> I'm gonna do like the lady there with the boyfriend, uh, the NASA lady with the boyfriend in Florida. They wear the adult diapers. Well, she doesn't have to yeah. stop. Well, like I'm at the. Uh, yeah. From all accounts, I heard things worked out very well for her. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Moving on to February the 15th, 1965. Canada, uh, our home and gracious land. Uh, our neighbors in North Canada decides they're going to have a brand new flag, which has got two red stripes on either side, a white stripe in the middle with a red maple leaf, better known to everybody as, hey, that's the Canadian flag, isn't it? But prior to <laughs> 1965, that's not what the Canadian flag looked like. It's true. And I didn't realize that they had changed their flag because I'm not Canadian and it happened before I was born, but... Their old flag was kind of cool. It was all red. It had a crest on it with maple leaves and lumber and other things. And then it had it up in the top corner, like Australia does. It had a British flag because they were originally a British colony. They were under British rule. I thought that they were under British rule until the 80s, like 1980s. But no, they were only under British rule. Like They were independent from Britain... I think I read like 1867 or something like that. But I guess they still had some sort of tendrils because even as a kid, I remember seeing Queen Elizabeth on their money. Well, I guess what happened was 
the British House of Commons or something gave them their constitution. So they were a constitutional monarchy, I guess, yep. still tied to the Queen or the King okay. at the time. The War of 1812 was launched through Canada, and that was all British soldiers who okay. walked their way down and burned up Washington, D.C. But then, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Maybe they got tired of maple syrup in Britain and were like, you know what, you guys can just kind of right. go your own way. So, yeah, I think it was 1982 whenever they were, like, I'm reading about, like, a couple of things over here, and it's like, well, if you go by this, and you go by that, and if you go by right. this, so it's like Canada was a self-governed but stick technically still under British rule until 1931. But then I get another source that's telling me something about 1982. Right. So, anyway, Canadian flag, different, uh, <laughs> up until 1965. I like the British, uh, I like the Canadian flag fine now. Yeah, I like it. I think it's cool. Yeah, it's very, it says Canada. You know, it's, there's no mistake here. That's, that's a Canadian flag. The old style, you'd probably have to look at it and say, is that Australia? I know they're similar. It almost yeah. looks like Portugal, like Australia and Portuguese flag are mixed together. And uh, the, yeah. I, I, I assume that there are third graders in the United States who'd be like, I don't know what flag this is, Mrs. Cabral. And she's going to go, it's Portugal. Oh, no, wait, that's not Portugal. <laughs> what the hell? Maple leaves. Oh, it's Canada. That's a weird looking flag. And then they don't have to worry about that after 1965. All right, moving on to the 16th. February 16, 1972, on a TV program called The Mike Douglas Show, John Lennon and Chuck Berry perform together and do some Chuck Berry songs that have been in rock and roll for uh, since the beginning of rock and roll. Chuck Berry's ultimately like the great-grandfather of rock and roll. And in the middle of... off. <laughs> don't piss him off. Funny. Uh, and, or tell him he can't come into your, some, uh, your amusement park. Uh, in the course of this performance... Whereupon Yoko Ono was also on stage banging a drum and doing her shrill scream. You can see in Chuck Berry's face that he doesn't know what to do when Yoko Ono is, and I'm saying this with air quotes, singing. Now, it goes by pretty quick if you go watch the, the segment. It's like seven and a half minutes long, uh, but you'll definitely see it. And it's gone around and become like a, a meme recently. Of yes. Of him with his eyes wide open as Yoko launches into the first of her screeches. It's very funny. So, I only found out recently that Yoko Ono actually came from a very wealthy family. Like, got you know, uh, shipped around going to this college and that college and, and all mm -hmm. that. She was actually a name in the art world. Oh, I yeah. kind of always just thought she was this, like, weirdo that John Lennon met. But, no, no she, she was... was yeah. She was actually had some notoriety behind her, yeah. Yeah, she did. She was she was renowned by the when they met. He met her at a an exhibition of her art. Like at the Museum of Modern Art or something. It was like it wasn't like at Bob's House of Art. It was a big place <laughs> with a big installation. Yeah. She was famous in the art world when they met. Cool. Maybe she could have stayed in the art world <laughs> instead of like, hey, would you like to come over and record an album of us not having sex? I like to think of, like, the sounds that she's make as another canvas, right? And it's another way of, of making something that's weird and lasting because it gets mm -hmm. recorded. I don't know. Her art is interesting, and I love modern art, so I don't have much to say about Yoko Ono that's not positive. Other than, Ma for the love of God, don't put her records on around me. I do not like them. <laughs> My friend Ryan is actually a big Yoko Ono fan. Like, whenever she puts out new albums, he always gets them, yeah. Does he? Yeah. 
Yeah. You can make your own Yoko Ono album at home if you it's like if you kick a stray dog hard enough. <laughs> Put the cat underneath the rocking chair, right? <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. But, I mean, that falls into, I mean, that's outsider music, and that is foreshadowing, kids. It is but for indeed. now, we're going to move on to the next day. February the 17th, 1936, the world's first superhero, The Phantom. A comic oh. strip by Lee Falk makes his first appearance in comics. So the very first superhero is the Phantom. And nice. Yeah. Now, a couple of years ago during the... Well, I mean, there was a few years in cinema where there was either Star Wars movies or superhero movies and very yes. little else. And I forget what studio put it out, but they made a movie of the Phantom. You remember? He was like purple and he had the black mask. Yes. and. That was yep. a phantom. And that was. I did not go to see that one because me, much like the rest of North America, was like, who the f is the phantom? And the <laughs> people were like, oh, he's the first superhero. I was like, oh, who the f is the phantom? <laughs> well, I knew the phantom from. He used to be a character on this weird Saturday morning cartoon with Flash Gordon and other Golden Age, pre Golden Age. Well, Bronze Age characters, even. Yeah. And so, what's I, his the, gig, dude? What's his like? Does he have a superpower? Is he got a s specific cause he's fighting for? Uh, I guess kind of. He he lives in the jungle. He talks with animals. He can run really fast and be kind of invisible. And he protects the jungle from pirates. That's kind of the Phantom. But he also like comes to the city and fights crime and. But it's all related to whatever's going on in the jungle where he lives. So he's like half Tarzan and half Batman. He's I was Tar about Bat to say, so it's, it's Tarzan <laughs> and a leotard. Okay. Tarzan and a leotard. And the, the kind of the cool thing with the Phantom is it's passed down dynastically. So f whoever the, fan the Phantom will never die because he always has a, a progeny that becomes the Phantom. So it's father to son to father to son to father to son. Oh, so it I was seems about like, to say, so it's kind of like the Santa Claus. So it seems like he's immortal, so that throws fear into the potential enemies of the Phantom, because he's been oh, around for wait, such a long like time. Oh, wait, that's like the Black Panther. The okay. Black Panther goes from father to son to father to son, and then yeah. in Black Panther 2, it's a daughter or a sister or whatever, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So that's that's kind of the gist. The film with Billy Zane in it is okay. Yep. It has uh, it has some good actors in it, like Kari Tagawa, who's like the 1980s and 1990s standard villain Japanese character, Asian character, actor. Yep. And Billy Zane isn't bad with this sort of weird dated material. I, I enjoyed it. I think all of the Charlton characters, because they were from Charlton Publishing, uh, okay. hit the public domain around the same time, and that's why those movies were made. Oh, it's public domain. So Yeah. So coming up, coming soon, Twibley Productions brings you the motion picture you've been waiting for, Moby Dick, Winnie the Pooh, Phantom Hybrid horror movie. I was going to say uh, Mickey Mouse's Steamboat oh, yeah, now we got, Will, yeah. Will with one L. Yeah, Steamboat Willie with one L is uh, riding that steamboat <laughs> looking for Moby Dick and gets attacked by Winnie the Pooh, but the Phantom comes in and saves the day. Oh I like my God, that. the script just writes itself. It does. So All right, let's wrap up the week. February 18th, we have our second celebrity birthday. He was born in 1954. He's known for being in musicals and science fiction films and weird dramas and television movies. He is John Travolta. Also, he exists on our Worst Song Ever list. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. 
So I first learned of John Travolta when I watched, do you remember The Boy in the Plastic Bubble? Yes, the ma- the I The made-for-TV movie with the kid who was born without an immune system, I guess based on a real thing. Well, he was the boy in the plastic bubble. And for those of you who are not anywhere near as old as Bill and I are, Let me there, out used of this. A, there used to be things called the movie uh, of the week on television. And it would be a film that was made specifically to show on NBC, CBS, or ABC. And this was Right, that's how Kiss Meet the Phantom happened, right. Right, how Kiss Meet the Phantom happened. And this was a movie that everybody I knew watched. Because I now, don't know why. <laughs> now, The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, was that before or after Welcome Back, Carter? I think it was after Welcome Back, Carter started. Okay. But I, I can't remember. So they were probably watching, you know, the agents were watching Welcome Back, Carter, and they were like, hey, we've seen you and we think you're electric. We would like <laughs> you to play. The dumbest guy amongst all these dumb guys. Yeah, no, no. We need you to play a kid with no immune system oh, that yeah, lives yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now that movie has been remade several times over. I remember seeing yes it remade with Tony Katane. I think that one was called Crystal Heart or something. And mm-hmm. then they made a satire of it called Bubble Boy with. Uh, oh my God! With Jake Gyllenhaal. That's right. Yeah, that's it. Jake Gyllenhaal. But we're not talking about Jake Gyllenhaal any of that. We're talking about John Travolta. A man whose career is pretty bulletproof because he's had some outstanding things like Welcome Back, Carter was a groundbreaking television show. And then he did The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. But then he came back and he he was in Greece. And actually, he was in Carrie, which is fantastic, too. Right. And then he did uh, Saturday Night Fever, a movie I still don't know what it's about. (laughs) Yes, but he was very famous for being in that film. And then Urban Cowboy. And then he, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever that nobody went to see. And then he stayed kind of, alive, yeah, stayed alive. And then he did that one where he he and his friend end up like in the Russian village. You remember that one? Yep. The Russian and village was meant off. to look like America. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. No, seriously, his career trajectory looks like a cardiograph. It's just up and down, it, up and down, up and down, up and down. Yeah. And then in the middle of, like, not having any roles, he ends up in something like Pulp Fiction and immediately gets a bunch of prestige pictures right after that. I remember seeing him recently in a movie where he played a person, watch how delicately I could put this, a person with either a limited or a different mental capacity called The Fan. Yes. It was kind of almost like a horror movie. And that got horrible ratings. But you know what? I watched it and I thought it was okay. It was really good to see John Travolta playing something like that. I, I wonder if, if the critical reception to that film would have been as harsh if it had been directed by somebody who wasn't Fred Durst. Oh, is that what it was? I think that's part of it, yeah. Oof. Oof. It's a shame, because um, like I said, he's a good actor. He was good in... I've seen him in bad movies. Battlefield Earth. But he's never yeah, been you brought bad. it over to my house and made me watch it. <laughs> he's never been... Even in that movie, he was incredibly entertaining to watch. As he just blew his career apart again, you know, wormed his way through all of that filthy lucre from doing all of the Look Who's Talking movies, which the first one was great. Second one, less yep. so. Third one, was it was like him and a bunch of character uh, cartoon actors, and it's just terrible. Then yep. he ends up in something good again. Like Hairs- the remake of Hairspray. So what I thought was cool was over the holidays... Uh, there was a MasterCard commercial where Santa Claus was walking down the street recreating the scene from Saturday Night Live. 
And it was John Travolta. It was John Travolta dressed up as Santa Claus. Yeah. And he's walking into the different stores. One of the stores he goes into and he uses his MasterCard. I think it was a jewelry store. And the girl behind the counter smiles at him. It was one of those longer form commercials that you see in the movie theaters before the movie starts. Yeah. The girl behind the counter like smiles and I jumped out of my seat pointing and I was the only one in the theater that even noticed. But then granted, there wasn't a lot of people in the theater anyway. But anyway, right. I got all excited because the girl in the commercial was Donna Priscow, oh, who's the yeah, female yeah. lead from Saturday Night Fever. I don't That's know right. anything about the movie other than she's also in it. <laughs> I was very excited to see that. I did enjoy that commercial quite a bit. I thought it was very clever. All right. Before we get into our worst song ever, we do have our, I don't want to call it a weird holiday because I don't really want to insult anybody's uh, anything, but it does have some weird traditions behind it. February 14th this week is Ash Wednesday, which is a Catholic holiday. It is indeed. So do you know what Ash Wednesday entails? I know you weren't really brought up Catholic. Uh, I know that it entails going to a special mass and, and having Ash sort of dotted on your forehead by the priest that's where my knowledge of ash wednesday ends all right so ash wednesday is 40 days before easter minus the sundays okay something about the number i know it's something to do with the number 40 minus the sundays uh so it's like 40 whatever days in between and easter i know this one too easter is the first sunday after the first full moon after the equinox. Okay. Which is why Easter moves around all the time, because it's got something to do with the, the lunar cycle and all that. Oh, all right. That all being said, Ash Wednesday typically is in the middle of February. The ashes that the Catholics get put on their forehead uh, as a you know mark of their faith are actually burned, or so they tell me, are burned from the palms that are used in the previous year's Palm Sunday. Oh, must be hard to get those all around the world. Things like that. Yeah, they got to keep them handy. They got a special right. uh, box in the back, I guess. All right, don't throw them <laughs> away. We need them for next year. Uh, we got to burn all these and put them in boxes and ship them out to four million places. Do you participate in Ash Wednesday? Or- I have not been Catholic since I was eighteen years old, so I do not uh. participate in Ash Wednesday. Although sometimes I get a little cheeky, and I'll uh, I'll put a Chiquita banana. Sticker on my forehead on Ash Wednesday. <laughs> it's a, it's an atheist thing that uh, Gillette started doing when he was in school. So sometimes she's uh, to be a little. I'll put it on my forehead. I'll take a picture and then I'll take it right back off. I'm not a practicing Catholic either. Uh, but what I do do is read. I read the same poem every year on Ash Wednesday. It's a poem called Ash Wednesday by T. S. Eliot, and I first read it in college, and have read it every year pretty much since I graduated from college in 1995. So, it's one so of my do favorites. you like sit around the house and read it, or do you like yeah. stand up on a pulpit somewhere and read it? No, no, I, I just sit around and read it quietly to myself, or I listen to a recording of T. S. Eliot reading it as well. But. Uh, uh, yeah, that's 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 what I do because the poem the poem means quite a bit to me. So, I'm gonna get you a pulpit. <laughs> all right, I'm all for that. All can right. you make it look like a boat so I can be like Father Maple from Moby Dick? That's not a bad idea at all. I hope it lasts a long time. I'm gonna get you a good quality one, one that's built to last, one <laughs> that's built to go the distance. Da, 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 da. The worst song. 
ever. All right, young Jeff. The worst song ever this week is from a band from California called Cake. And the name of the yes. song is The Distance. Somebody left with the cup, but he's driving and striving and hugging the turns and thinking of someone for whom he still burns. He's going the distance. He's going for speed. was suggested to us by well by you wasn't it <laughs> it was indeed suggested by me all right so jeff tell us uh tell us what brought you to uh bring this song up what brought me to bring this song up as worst song ever was like so many others that we've done here on twibbly i was at the gym in the locker room drying myself off after shower and this song was on and i thought as i listened this song sucks in fact <laughs> This song is not good at all in many, many ways. And then I remember, like, I, you know, I have this CD somewhere in my house. And I remember that there oh, were that tracks happened. tracks on this. Well, I mean, it was, what, 1998 or something? So I bought every uh, CD that came out. My record show, 1996. Or 96, whatever. 98, 96, doesn't matter. Uh, it, was, it was a time when I was, all of my disposable income literally went to Strawberries Records and Tapes. Because they okay. were still open in Derry. This is what I bought. It was on... The video for Going the Distance was on MTV. I bought it because someone else had played for me Italian Leather Sofa, which is another song on this album, which is very good. Anyway, uh -huh. you also heard Going the Distance like on WAAF and every single friggin' radio station for miles around 50 times a day. And yep. I found the song grating when it was new, and it's still grating yep. today. For those of you who have never heard it, all, uh, other than the 30-second sample there, it's like that gonna call it like analog acoustic hip hoppy i don't know music that's the these are like the little baby mammals that escaped after the dinosaurs died out and are starting to evolve into new animals so these are the ones that made it out kind of from the the nirvana comet but not that far so this is when the music industry was really strange so like blues traveler was a thing and hootie and the blowfish yeah. was a thing and these guys were a thing and so uh, i I did my research, uh, you know, finding out about this band. So first things first, what I did was I listened to this album that this song is on. It's on their first major label album, which is their yep. second album. It's called Fashion Nugget. And The Distance is the second song on the yes. album. The third song on the album is called Friend is a Four-Letter Word, which musically I'm listening to it and, I'm, and I messaged you. I was like, am I supposed to make believe <laughs> that this song is not House of the Rising Sun? It's, a, it's it, like almost the same chord progression, yeah. It, it is the same. Yeah, same then later on in the album came another song that I knew because my cousin Pete had this album. Mm -hmm. And they do a cover of Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. Well, that was and, also the second signal, uh, single from this record. Yeah. Which I don't and, remember ever being on the radio, but... Uh, as well, I know think yourself lucky. I, at the time, and, and still to this day... I don't like cake. This is not music I would ever. Right. I'm never going to listen to it again. There's some songs, yeah. there's some albums that I listen to for worst song ever, and I actually go back and listen to it. Hand to God, I listened to Edie Bacall last week, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. Like on my own. I went back and listened to it. But cake is not something I'm going to go back and listen to. It's not music I enjoy. But doing my research, I understand them a little bit better. 
Right. So what do you understand about cake? One, the name cake is pretty cool because whenever they say cake, they don't mean like birthday cake or chocolate covered cake. They mean cake like the stuff that gets caught and stuck on your shoe, like it gets caked up. That's the kind of cake they're talking about. Oh, okay. Now, names are going to escape me and I don't feel like looking them up. But the lead singer, who looks like he could be a member of the Arquette family, Mm -hmm. him, he's the singer, which did nobody else apply for that job? Because he's really not good. Right. And the trumpet player. Those are the only two mainstays in the band. That is such a red flag. That is the Canadian (laughs) flag with the white part taken out. When I was reading about how the band sort of evolved from one record to the other, it's like they went, they, they recorded the record and they went on tour and they came back and guys were like, you know what, I'm out. (laughs) that's what i've done just peeling off like banana peels every time they went towards so uh it was odd that doesn't always happen so right but like i said it's just a singer who that was the thing with that i will survive that used to drive me nuts back whenever in 1996 is he's like constantly off by one beat like, he's a yeah. little too fast or he's a little too slow. He's never on the beat when he's singing. Right. And I thought it was like a stylistic choice for that song. But no, he does that all the time. It's like almost in every song he does that at least once. Yeah. That didn't get on my nerves at all. I was surprised. You messaged me and you said, oh, I find that endearing. And at that point in time, I actually went to look up the word endearing because I yep. was pretty sure I knew what it meant. Yep. But... I got confused for a split second because I thought it might have been synonymous with fucking annoying. <laughs> well, man, I didn't think it was Because I found it fucking annoying, not endearing yes. at all. Well, it's again, that's you and I sometimes have different musical tastes. Oh, that's fine. I, I, I ended up buying the uh, this record out of the iTunes store today because I could not find the CD of it that I know I have and listened to it back to front maybe five or six times in a row while I was at work. And really. Yeah, I didn't soften any to Going the Distance. That song is grade D hip-hop song done by a bunch of white guys who come from California, and it's just not its not good. With it also bothers with me With a bucket it, hat, yeah. It also bothers me because its it was similar enough to Jerry Was a Race Car Driver and um, Jesus Built My Hot Rod, which were not at the same time, but in the same era. Uh, were out and it's like well this is kind of ripping those two songs off i guess but i found myself really enjoying the gloria gainer cover of i will survive and i especially liked the cover of sad songs and waltzes by willie nelson the song that ends the record i thought was fantastic i yeah sorry i I couldn't get that far one thing about this band that when i was listening to it was Nobody in this band sounds like they're very good at their instrument. It's really, really sounded like a bunch of guys that when they were kids, their parents insisted that they learn how to play an instrument, and then they didn't touch it the entire time they were in high school. And then when they were in college, they had nothing to do, and they're like, wait, man, I got how to play guitar. And the other guy goes, I know how to sing. You know, that was that's uh, that was the reference that I made. I said it sounded like right. Paulie Shore. You know how Paulie Shore used yes. to go, I'm the wheat. So there must have been a Southern California thing in the 90s or something like that because that's how that guy sang everything. But, yeah, like musically, nobody in that band was – it sounded like they were very good. And they, But one thing that I found 
interesting about them, intriguing, if you will, is mm-hmm. they're outsider music. They weren't yes. meant to have 202 million listens that The Distance has. They're right. outsider music. They were on a minor, minor label. And that minor label got eaten up by Mercury Records. Yes. So now they're no longer on this minor label. They're on Mercury Records. And then somewhere in between their first and their second album, Mercury Records got eaten up mm-hmm. by an even bigger company. It might have been Warner Brothers. Yeah. So there's this little outsider music band that really is not supposed to play in front of an audience of more than 150 people. Right. And all of a sudden, they're on Warner Brother Records. Right. And they literally didn't know what to do with themselves about it. It's like, well, I hope you guys like, you know, weird songs because that's what we do. That's who you That's who you hired by accident. Yeah. You like bands with trumpets in them, don't you? And, yeah, yeah. And that don't play, turn bands with trumpets in them and it's not a ska band. Yeah. Which is as rare as it gets for the late 1990s. And it's Southern California, right? Right. Another thing that I found intriguing about them is they have always done their own production. Yes. They're always self-produced. They they do their own artwork for the album covers. Musically, for better or for worse, they produce it themselves, which is good because at that time, you would have ended up with this going to distance sounding like Weedus. Yeah. You know, where it's everything but the kitchen sink thrown in. It's like, okay, yep. we're gonna have acoustic guitars, but it's gonna get heavy, and then we're gonna have hip hop beats in the middle, and you know, I'm surprised there's not a rap section. The, well, the whole song kind of is a rap song. If you go back and listen to it in excruciating detail, you'll hear that it's structured like a public enemy song or like an iced tea song. It's it's everything rhymes on the A B B A B B scale or A B B A B B scheme. And it's delivered in the same way that it would be if the backing track wasn't, you know, a drummer, uh, two guitar players, a bass player, and a trumpet player, but a dude with two turntables. It could be the same song. It could be done the same way. All you need is that, dum, dum, tss, dum, 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 tss, which is the back, the background beat of the song. I think it also has a lot to do with the fact that John McCree can't sing. <laughs> he doesn't sing. He just he just sort of talks his way through. No, well, yeah, well, he can't carry a tune, right? Um, I mean, it's not as bad as Fred Schneider from the B-52s, which (laughs) every album he's ever put out is a spoken word album, essentially. Right. It's not as bad as that. Very short sentences on that spoken word album, too. (laughs) But like I said, I think what really gets to me about Cake is, well, they're outsider music. And I like plenty of outsider music. Yes. Just Cake isn't one of them. And what also gets to me is the same thing with Wesley Willis is it's outsider music that people that don't like outsider music all of a sudden liked at the same time. And I, I don't right. think enough of those people like can explain why. <laughs> explain yourselves. Right. Uh, I agree, too, that it is outsider music. And it came at a funny time in the history of pop music because this music doesn't really exist anymore. I know Cake still is still touring because I saw that they are coming to play up in Portsmouth at a a brewery in the summer. But they haven't put out another record since like 2011, which due to my awesome math skills is approximately 9,000 years ago in pop music <laughs> years. So I'm sure they have a small but dedicated fan base of people who don't shower that still listen to Cake way more than I did. 
uh, and way more than you ever will. But it's not; they're not going to have a growing fan base. I asked my kids who they were, and they just looked at me. Funny. Uh, so you know who is a big fan of cake? My cousin ice, Nicole. Ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> no, my cousin Nicole actually went to college with them. Yep. Like she knows them from like the dorms and stuff. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, yep. I, like I said, I softened a lot to this record as I listened to it today. There's some really good tracks on it. Going the distance, however, is not one of them. So speaking of going the distance, Jeff, if you're going to go the distance from England, this is the very popular and always well-received trivia question. The very uh, the distance from England to New England is oh, approximately man. 3,100 miles. 3,100 miles from England to New England. Nautical miles, even. Yeah, no, nautical miles is a little bit different. It's um, the math. Well, we'll get to that. So okay. if you were going to travel on, oh, I don't know, a sailing ship, so not a motorized boat, Yep. a sailing ship, the Mayflower, for an example. Sure. From England to the most disappointing field trip in the world, Plymouth hmm, Rock. Plymouth Rock. How long would it take you? Approximately. I don't need exact numbers. Well, the Mayflower was, wasn't was built for speed, that's for sure. So I think on that boat, it was around six weeks. Oh, you were off by magnitudes. Uh, so those boats had a speed of approximately eight knots on average. Okay. I mean, they could, they could go faster. They usually go slower. But right. the average speed on those boats would be eight knots. Right. Right. So eight knots, it would be about 9.2 miles an hour. So so that would take you a little bit shorter than that. A okay. little bit shorter. I, I thought it was going to be much different. But it ends up being just over two weeks. Oh, So if you right. travel... If you travel at eight nautical miles an hour on the average from England to New England, it would take you just over two weeks. Like, So that's not even drinking your own urine lengths of time to be out on the ocean in a boat. Right. Whenever I first did the math, I, I saw the number 344 and I was like, 344? I thought that was days, right? And I was like, 344 days? You're going to be like, you know, yeah. nope. praying Hours. that there's rats on the boat so you can have something to eat. Yeah. Right. The better side of two weeks. So that's not so bad. Yeah, that's not so bad. And it, if you had to go back, it's two weeks back. So. Yeah, probably know. a little probably a little faster going back because of the Gulf Stream. But I mean, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to guess stream. that the Brits who, who were waving as the pilgrims left. Portsmouth Harbor in, in Britain were like, all right, they'll be gone at least a month. Yeah. <laughs> and it turned out to be more than that. All right, that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We'll see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. A special shout out to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you for listening to Twibbly, where this week was way better last year. You can find us or message us over at Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Twibbly. That's T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Remember, Robert Hayes from Airplane listens to Twibbly, and I heard he got George Zip to subscribe after Macho Grande.